You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual everybody. Happy November 1st. Hope you're recovering well from Halloween. We're going to have a bit of a co-rant here at the top of this week's show. I want to talk about Prop 60, a ballot initiative measure in California. So this is kind of California specific, but I think it's of interest to all Lovecast listeners. And rather than rant about this one on my own, I wanted somebody from porn, from the porn community on to co-rant about it with me. And joining me by phone from California, writer, activist, porn performer, and lecturer, Connor Habib, who lives in Los Angeles. You can follow him on Twitter at Connor Habib. So, Connor, what the hell is Prop 60? (laughs) Well, Prop 60 is a statewide proposition. So California voters will see on the ballot that it says it's about condoms um, being mandated for porn performers and having producers pay for testing. All well and good, have whatever feelings you'd like about that. What what it doesn't show is that it also has all kinds of stuff stuffed into it. Um, One of the things is that eventually this proposition leads to, most likely, someone having a state-funded position, the person who wrote the prop, um, as sort of a monitor of porn in California. Um, And this is someone who uh, has had clashes with the porn industry before. Um, And if you are a citizen of California and you uh, see uh, a porn that doesn't have condoms, where the performers are not wearing condoms, you can initiate some a lawsuit, essentially, um, is where it will go. You initiate a lawsuit. So an individual, an individual porn consumer who spots a porn without a condom can sue. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, well, they they make a complaint, and if the complaint is not taken up um, by OSHA, it gets turned over to this guy who's created this state-funded position for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, once that not- lawsuit is initiated, um, if the the studio or the producers uh, lose you know, and, and are fined, the person who initiated the lawsuit gets a percentage of the money from the fine. So it incentivizes people to sue porn studios. So it puts a bounty on the heads of porn producers and porn performers. And many porn performers are also porn producers because the barrier to entry now digitally technically is so low. A lot of people out there uh, in porn are the people who made the porn, are, the, in, are themselves the producers of their own pornography. Exactly. They're, they, they are themselves producers, or maybe they're on crew in some way. Like if there's a handheld cam, you know, and someone's filming someone giving them oral sex, then they're part of the production company, essentially, so even if they're not the ones sort of like. Ex- exactly. <laughs> okay. But, you know, just um, getting back to, you know, what people are going to see when they see on the ballot, what's wrong with requiring condoms on porn sets? Condoms reduce the risk of HIV transmission. They're really effective against other sexually transmitted infections. Why shouldn't we want everybody in porn to be wearing condoms? Right. So first of all, let me just preface this by saying I'm a porn performer who has used condoms in every single scene he's done. So I don't have any sort of thing where it's like, I don't want to wear condoms in my scenes because it doesn't feel good. I've used them in every single scene I've done, which is almost 200 scenes over eight, about eight years. So, um, 
let me just preface it by saying that mm -hmm. the reason aside from just whatever freedom of expression problems you might have with telling people what they're supposed to put in, a, <laughs> in their films is that studios that don't use condoms um, typically in, especially in California major studios have a really rigorous testing system that is the equivalent of safe this is the equivalent of safe sex we haven't had an HIV transmission onset for a long, long, long time. Since we're talking gay and straight porn both. Yeah, well, we're talking, well, the, the standards are different for different studios, right? But what I'm talking mostly about right now is straight porn because mm. the testing standards are so high for straight porn. I mean, they're, Street porn performers and their rigorous testing makes them one of the safest sexual populations, you know, anywhere to be found. I mean, people should be asking, what can we do to improve our regular lifestyle offset? What can we learn from porn stars on how to keep ourselves safe? Um, there's a, a very rigorous testing system that keeps people safe in, in their jobs. So it's a, it's a good example of a solution in search of a problem. There's no problem here. Not only is there no problem, but it's it's a solution that creates more problems. <laughs> um, it creates this whole uh, litigious atmosphere. It puts everybody sort of uh, on patrol. Basically, it's the see something, say something of pornography mm -hmm. where everything becomes suspicious. And you can't watch porn without suddenly becoming, as you said, like a bounty hunter in a sense. Um, you know, not a not a booty hunter. Yeah, a nation full of Anthony Comstocks. So that's a it's an ancient yeah, right. reference yeah, for people right. who know who I'm referring to. You know what I mean when I say Anthony <laughs> Comstock. Um, one of the other problems with the, the 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 prop, as I understand it, is if somebody's reported, if a studio is reported, then suddenly uh, the real names of all the performers could become part of the public record as this yeah. quasi judicial Comstockian uh, prosecution unfolds. <laughs> people who do porn under pseudonyms to protect their anonymity, to protect whatever uh, future career they might want to have, to protect themselves from stigma, and in some cases violence, could be outed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you can imagine, porn performers have stalkers. You might be surprised to mm -hmm. find that out. <laughs> but yes, that information, private information is made public um, in the worst possible way. People who are initiating these lawsuits already have some sort of strange, that was initiating these lawsuits would already have some sort of strange uh, reason to do so, I'm sure. You know, they're watching porn and they want to be involved in some way in rescuing the porn performer from these horrible conditions, which, by the way, almost universally, porn performers are saying, vote no on this proposition. None of us want it. So this proposition that's ostensibly about protecting porn performers and making their workplaces safer, porn performers reject. If you're on Twitter, get on Twitter, look up some people who work in porn, look at all the porn performers they follow. Everybody right now has no on Prop 60 as their avatar or incorporated into their avatar. This is being rejected by the people that it is supposed to protect. It's really just an anti-porn crusade wrapped up That's in exactly the guise right. of concern for porn performers and it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's total bullshit. And it really is about it. Re I mean, if you see there are billboards in LA right now that say in dark, scary letters, pornographers say no on prop 60. Obviously, if you look at that, the way they're advertising it is to stigmatize porn overall to get people to vote yes on this thing. You, know, you should vote no on Prop 68. It harkens back to a time when there was a much sort of cleaner divide and wider gulf between the pornographers and the porn performers. These days, 
most pornographers are porn performers and most porn porn performers are pornographers because people create their own websites, create their own content, really market their own porn brands. This isn't about uh, evil pornographers sweeping into bus stations and scooping up people who came to LA because they thought they were going to break into Hollywood and getting them to do porn and taking advantage of them. This is really attacking people's own rights and their own livelihood. It's really offensive. A, a quick word, you know, you're a, you're a gay porn performer. Um, quick word about gay porn. You know, there's a lot of gay porn, almost most gay porn these days doesn't use condoms. And some people, particularly gay men, you know, close to my age or older are a little freaked out by that because of what condomless sex meant 20 years ago. But these days people who are in treatment or complying with their drug regimen have zero viral loads and or are on prep can go condom free in gay sex and in gay porn without incurring risk for HIV transmission. Right. Yes. And it's important to note too, that if there were two men in a couple who are both HIV positive, this proposition, if passed, would force them to get tested <laughs> and, wear and would force them to wear condoms with each other, which is insane. They could be sued for not doing that. And it, I mean, these are these are the kinds of things that are just sort of brushed under the carpet. So you see already this bill is has its own like sort of heteronormative, homophobic undertones. So it's, it's already problematic from the get go. OK, last week, Connor, I asked people who live in California who listen to my show to vote no on Prop 60. This week, you get to do it. Go ahead. Everybody in California, when you vote, because I know you're going to vote because the stakes are high this election. Also know that the stakes are high on Prop 60. Vote no on Prop 60. Thank you. Connor Beeb, writer, actress, porn performer, lecturer. Thanks so much for jumping on the phone. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. All right. Thanks again, Connor. And now we are going to move on to your questions. Tons of your questions. We're going to try not to think too hard about the election. We're just going to do a deep dive on sex and relationships starting now. Hi, Dan. 20-something living on the West Coast in a bit of a predicament. I've been dating this guy for about six months now. It's been a long-distance relationship totally started falling for him. And today, which is my birthday, actually, he told me he had a wife. And she apparently found out about me. I had no clue he had a wife. He begged me to lie for him and not tell her the truth about the emotional and physical relationship we've been having together. So not only did he lie to me, he lied to her. And I don't know what to do. If she messages me, what do I tell her? Do I tell her the truth? Do I lie for him? I'm so fucking brokenhearted right now. I don't even know how to go forward. You're probably not in a blessings counting mood, but I would urge you to pause here in your distress and and count your blessings or really blessing singular. You found out this guy was married and playing you and lying to you at six months, just six months. And I know when you're in your early 20s, mid 20s, six months seems like a really long term relationship, maybe even the longest termist relationship you've been in. But it's not actually that long term of a relationship. You're more emotionally invested in who you thought this guy was than who this guy turns out to actually be. And you can grieve who you thought he was. That person was a lie. 
that you were invested in. And now that lie is exposed and you can, as painful as it is, pull back that investment. Pull the fuck out of it. You didn't actually lose this person. This person isn't who you thought he was, who he led you to believe he was, which was single A, ethical B, and he is neither A nor B. Not your question, just trying to help you put this into some sort of perspective. I can hear the pain that you're in. The question is, what do you say to his wife? You are not obligated to lie for this motherfucker. I wouldn't in your shoes and I wouldn't urge you in my shoes to go out of your way to reach out to his wife and flip that table over. Just stay the fuck out of it. But if she calls you and asks you straight out, is my husband lying to me the same way he lied to you about your relationship, the same way he lied to you about their relationship, lie by omission, still a lie, you should tell her the truth. You don't have to lie for this liar. And happy birthday, and I'm so sorry this all went down on your birthday. One day, I promise you, one day this will be a story you tell with your friends on your birthday and laugh about. Right now, it doesn't seem like you could ever laugh about this, but these painful experiences that we all have, different sorts, different kinds, but we all have these kinds of painful experiences with time and new and better experiences, they become stories we tell about our past. And sometimes the best stories that we have about our pasts are the disasters, are the, the real fuck-ups, are the real fuck-overs. And we share them with each other because they're, they're humanizing, because we all have them. And it's something we all have in common, these embarrassing, humiliating touchstones. And one day, I'm not saying you're going to dine out on this, but one day you're going to find yourself five years from now, 10 years from now, with a better boyfriend or better husband at your side and with good friends around you recounting the story of this shitty married guy who played you for six months and then telling them about what went down when his wife got you on the phone. And you will be laughing about it, I promise you. Hey, Dan. This is actually a question I have about a friend of mine. She uh, recently came back to her home to find her boyfriend passed out in her bed with a used condom wrapper, not the condom, the wrapper on the ground, uh, open, torn, used, obviously. And all of their pictures of each other were turned face down onto the table and not turned up. She had previously cut uh, her boyfriend browsing for prostitutes on the internet. Uh, after a week of denying it, the boyfriend finally admitted that he had, in fact, had a prostitute over that night. I'm not against prostitution. I think it's totally fine. Except for when you're in a monogamous relationship. It's probably not the best idea. And so she lives here with him. She moved here for him. She's got a great job. And she has a bunch of friends here. But she's afraid that if she breaks up with him, that she you know, won't be able to start over. And she'll have to be here all alone. And, you know, I know that he's still lying about other stuff, too. Because the price he gave her of the prostitute was, was very low. And uh, I can't imagine that that is the real price he paid. I think he's also embarrassed about how much money he spent. Um, and so I just think that someone needs to, like, tell this girl or woman, sorry, that she needs to dump this guy. And no one's done it. And it sounds to me like she's thinking about not doing it. And it sounds to me like this probably isn't the first time. This is the first time he's been caught. He's also got a uh, cocaine problem and an alcohol problem. He met up with this prostitute at their own house when he was high on coke and presumably blackout drunk. So, um, 
I don't know. Is it my business? Should I stay out of it? I've already kind of dropped the hint that I think she needs to break up with him. She went and saw a bunch of her friends the other last week, and I was like, did you break up with him? And she said no. Um, so I just, uh, I don't know. What do I do? Let me know. Who turns photos down when a sex worker is coming over to the house? You know, people talk about what you pay a sex worker for is you pay them uh, not for the sex. You pay them to go away after. Another thing that you pay for is not to have to pretend that you don't have a girlfriend or a wife or a husband or a boyfriend. That sex workers generally are down with sleeping with someone who's involved with someone else because they have no desire to date or marry their clients almost universally. So you don't have to turn your photos upside down when a sex worker is coming over unless you're drunk and high on coke and you think your girlfriend's eyes are peering at you from all these photographs and you have a guilty conscience and that's why you do it. But otherwise, not out of consideration for the sex worker's feelings, do you need to do something like that? Not your question. How do you get this woman to break up with her shitty, inconsiderate, drunk, fucked up on coke, cheating, lying boyfriend? You don't drop hints. You're dropping hints to someone who needs to be told straight up what you think they should do. Don't drop hints. And if you have other dirt on this guy, if there are things that you think she needs to know as she makes a decision on whether to stay with him or not and she's your friend, you tell her those things as hard as they may be to say, as hard as they may be to hear, as difficult and awkward and uncomfortable as it might be if it gets back to him, you say them. And if she has other friends who all feel the same way, you can link hands and all say it together. So there's not one big bad guy who has to bear the brunt of the boyfriend's anger if indeed she dumps him because of what you said. It'll be the collective you. It'll be all of you instead of you alone. So do some reconnaissance with her other friends about what you all think she needs to do and she needs to know and then go to her and tell her. And when she goes to that stupid place where she fears being alone to such an extent that she's going to stay with this shitty guy, just impress upon her how ridiculous that is. Because if she's with this shitty guy and a better guy comes along, she won't be in a place where she can date him and be with somebody else. That to be with somebody else, somebody better, somebody less lie less drunky, less cokey, she's going to have to be single when that other person comes along. So she needs to dump him and she has friends where she's at and she has a job, a good one where she's at. She doesn't have no one or nothing in her life. She has a lot in her life. What she doesn't have in her life right now is a decent, loving, considerate boyfriend. And she's never going to have one of those while she's with this guy. Hi, Dan. I am a 39-year-old San Francisco Bay resident who's not living in Austin, Texas. I'm gay. Um, My parents are visiting me right now. And my dad came out to me last night and asked that I never tell anybody. So that's why I'm calling you and putting all this on air. He and my mother have been married for 40 years. And he came out to me as bi last night. I and any person who's ever met him that I have a conversation with has always thought that he is gay, but regardless, he came out to me and I was happy for him and I was proud of him for saying it out loud to at least one other person. But he said that I, you know, could never tell my mom he would never out himself. I asked him if he's safe in his activities and he said that he is and he doesn't have sex with guys that often, his words. 
I kind of feel like I'm in a pickle and that I'm now responsible for keeping this uh, secret. And I would, I would never out him to her. It's his, you know, journey. I'm just feeling a little tied up and uncomfortable. And if you have any suggestions or advice, I would really welcome that. I'm calling because I had some questions about where you think your mom would be with this. Is this something your mom would want to know? Is your mom invested in the romantic or sexual dimension of her 40 year marriage? Are they past sex? Is it, is it long been a companionate ish kind of marriage? Do you think knowing your mother as well as you do that this is information that she would want to have? So I've had a few days to think of it since I left you that voicemail. It was the morning after he had told me. And um, mm-hmm. I know she has spoke to, spoken to me previously about wanting more like romance and sex in their relationship. And we are not close at all. So I kind of find these um, keyholes into their marriage strange sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm glad that my dad had the courage to come out to someone in whatever capacity. So I'm proud of him for doing that. But I think that my mom would definitely want more. I feel that probably it is at this point more of a companionate marriage. And how old are your parents? Um, almost 70, both of them. Okay. So your mom and dad aren't, you know, not to be ageist about it and love and sex can happen mm-hmm. at an age, but not exactly in positions to go out and tear it up and find new partners and no. get the romance and no. sex. That, you know, I, I'm actually sitting here kind of aching for your mother because if indeed your father is gay, not bi. Yeah. Or primarily attracted to men and your mother has longed for and ached for a stronger sexual and romantic connection with her husband that was never there. And, she stumbles around in the dark wondering, you know, what she did wrong or what she lacks. Uh, Yeah. You know, that's what I've had a few, sorry, not to cut you off. No, no, I just had a few days to think of it. And my, my parent, my mom is a very, very difficult woman. Um, And there's been, I'm sure in many families, you know, like my own, there's been just a lot of fucked up shit that's gone on. Mm -hmm. And I just started speaking to them again after five years of not, speaking to them. So wow. this is all a lot, all at once. Yeah, oh my God. And I think that I've never really felt that much sadness or pity for my mom, but this morning specifically, I started to just kind of open my eyes to what her whole experience might be and the loneliness and, like you said, kind of stumbling around in the dark. I'm not going to overstep any bounds. I guess my biggest desire is to maybe open the lines of communication with my father and I, if he's, I want to make sure that he's safe. I don't want to be more, much more involved than I am because I don't want to hold anyone's secrets for them. Right. You know, but you have his secret and you're going to hold it. I have it now. And and the, (laughs) the dicey prospect for you is if your mother finds out, if he tells your mother, and then it's, let's say it's three years from now and your mother, and he tells your mother that you knew or you, you've you known for years, that's just not going to nuke his yeah. relationship with his wife. It's going to nuke your relationship with your mom because she's going to feel betrayed and humiliated and lied to by omission by you. Totally. And so you, your father I, has put you in just, your father has in, in a way done to you what he did to your mom, put you in an impossible I know. and very difficult and painful position. I just, 
And it's unfair. It's you know, I want to say, you know, we're queer. You're a lesbian. I'm a fag. We want to say, oh, yeah, you came out. Coming out is great. Telling the truth but is great. Not, I feel so no, honored. It, but in some, like, I'm actually sitting here thinking, 40 fucking years of marriage. Keep your mouth shut until one of you is dead. No shit. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. And I'm like, I don't see this going. I but we're not allowed to feel out, that way. Like, a... gay ink is going to fall down <laughs> on our heads if we said that out loud, and we just did. Like, we're not allowed to feel that way as out yeah. queers. Like, everybody being out is what everybody should be. And then somebody comes yeah. out in a circumstance like this, and you're just like, really? You couldn't make it over the finish line? I'm glad you could tell someone. Did it have to be me that you told? Can't you see the position that puts me in with my mother that I have a relationship with, too? Well, in this extremely tenuous relationship now. I mean, we're just barely getting our footing, and... Uh. You know, it's just it, it that night it I was like, what the fuck? Are you going to leave her? And he's like, no. And she could never know. And I was like, that's fucked up. Like, I don't care where your dick goes. Even, but even this if, is he, a, even if it's going to come out, even if he doesn't leave her, he needs to free her. He's freed himself yeah, to seek I, comfort and intimacy and sex elsewhere. And if I were in your shoes, you know, if I were in mm-hmm. this position, I don't, I think I would keep the secret. I think I wouldn't out my father. Uh, you know, it's hard for me yeah. to imagine being in a relationship with mom where I'm not as close to mom as I was to my own. Cause I would probably go to my own and like relieve her of that angst and burden. Um, but if the relationship was tenuous and fraught and we hadn't spoken for years, but I would go to my dad and say, yeah. you owe her, if not the full truth, some truth, you owe her. Look, our relationship has never had a strong sexual connection if you seek comfort and sex elsewhere, I I am for that. Please do do that. And you know what? I've done it. That's what I think too. And he doesn't have to say I've done it with dudes. Although, yeah. although you know, in a way, maybe he does need to say I've done it with dudes. Maybe, maybe your mother needs that comfort in knowing that whatever was missing from her marriage all along, it was no fault of her own. This is such an impossible circumstance. I know. And I keep thinking like, once my once everything quieted down the last few days, I thought, okay, well, maybe uh, they have some kind of gray understanding. Like, I I believe that on some level she knows. Of course, it's been 40 years. She knows this person. Mm-hmm. He's not that great of a liar. He's not a charlatan. He's, you know, inherently a good person. Um, but that's kind of... And he was making decisions and choices, we have to remember, as youngish, younger queers 40, 50 years ago, when there was yeah. less latitude, less freedom, fewer options for queer people. And a lot of people were hustled into the closet and hustled into opposite sex relationships who were gay or bi and had no choice. Right. Had, had no, it really didn't have a choice. And so we have to have some empathy for your dad. It's not like he married your for mother sure. four years ago. Because we're talking about 40 years ago. Right. But still. Oh, oh yeah, God. for sure. I have a lot of empathy. And I, I, I have empathy. you're right. I have I empathy that. for you. <laughs> my, my heart goes out to you in this circumstance. You have, you've been put in an impossible position. This fucking family, man. It's tough. But I think that you're right. I think that, you know, me saying to him, you need to say something, something to her, I think would take a little bit of the burden off of my heart. Mm-hmm. And would possibly put the nugget of the idea um, of strength or courage or whatever he might need because her maybe knowing or them maybe having like an unconscious agreement, that's not really enough. 
I mean, it wouldn't be for me. Right. I'm, Especially if your mother has walked around know. for 40 years thinking there's something wrong with me. I don't, oh, I'm, yeah. He can't love me for some fault or demerit of mine or some shortcoming of mine. That would make anyone yeah. a difficult person after stewing in that for 40 fucking years. That's what I keep thinking about. And my mom is such a fucking bitch all the time. But I'm like, no wonder, <laughs> you know, I mean, not to be so mean about it, but there's, you know, there's a lot of crap in the family and mm-hmm. I can kind of understand. It could also that be, it could also of, be a coincidence. Your mother could be a fucking bitch that this awful uh, thing it, happened it very to her. Well <laughs> not a fucking I'm, bitch I'm because this awful well. thing happened to her. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. But I think that that's a, I think that's good advice. And I, I feel more at ease saying something, um, you know, certainly never going to force his hand, but letting him know where I stand, I think is important. You know, I would, because he just unloaded. There's a, there's an organization called the straight spouses network that a lot of people who are bi actually uh, have objections to and strong ones and valid objections to, because a lot of what, they do uh, kind of seems to rest in a lot of bi shaming, right? The, the, you know, somebody who's okay. bi lied to you all the time. Anyway, there's a whole bi critique of Straight Spouses Network. But the stories I've read there and the people I've spoken with uh, and the stuff I've seen on their website and their blog, you do hear this two stories about finding out that somebody you were with for 20 or 30 years was gay or lesbian and you, know, you were their opposite sex spouse. Um, and mm-hmm. people are at once crushed and relieved. Right. Crushed by the news. There's an answer and it's not them. Exactly. So here we are now. We're gaming this out. We're sitting with this information. Uh, We've been arguing from the point of view that sharing this information with your mother, that fucking bitch, will destroy her or crush her (laughs) or devastate her about these 40 years and this 40 years of lies and humiliation. On the other hand, in some people's experience, some people who bet in your mother's shoes, finding this out was such a relief. Finding this out unburdened them because they were not solely responsible for the dysfunction at the heart of their marriage. Yeah. Oy, I don't envy you the position that you're in. I really don't. It's hard, but I mean, harder things have come before and they will after. But I, I think that you've given me a few good ideas about where to kind of funnel the questions and the energy. So I, I will definitely check out that website and just kind of look around and, I'm going to see them again in March. So good luck. I think we will be due for a talk. Thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Keep up the good work. Nice chatting with you. Hi, Dan. I've been in a relationship for the last four years with a girl. And the last couple of years has been really strained. We've broke up, got back together, broke up, got back together. Some things have happened lately that tell me that her and I are never going to get back together. But in those four years, I became very close with her family, met a lot of her friends who have became my friends. I I want to cut off all ties with her for at least the immediate future. I I would like to completely move on. What I don't want to happen is to log into my Facebook page and see her, pictures of her with you know, from her friends and family's posts. So what is the, what is the etiquette for me wanting to basically delete her friends and family who I will basically never spend time with or probably never see again? 
I'm not on Facebook myself, but one of the tech-savvy, at-risk, on-Facebook youth just informed me that there is an option other than friending or unfriending, which is hiding, that you can hide someone and then their photos and info and scraps or whatever the fuck everyone is sharing on Facebook, their photos of their fucking lunch, photos of your ex-girlfriend, they're not going to show up in your feed and they won't know that you've unfollowed them and maybe in a year or two or three when you can stand the sight of this woman's face again on occasion, you can unhide these people that you used to be close to and endure the occasional photo of your ex while you catch up on what the hell they're doing or eating in their lives. Hi, Dan. I am 24, living in Kansas. And I just had a question about just a weird situation with my boyfriend. We've been dating for a year maybe a little longer and probably a few months ago we were watching a comedy show where a woman was talking about it's her mission in life to give like a prostate exam to every guy that she's with and I was talking to him and I'm like oh yeah that would be fun I would like to do that for you touch your prostate give you a different sense of pleasure and his immediate reaction was no never I don't want you to touch me there and I was like okay and maybe about a month after that, he brought it up and he's like, will you please do this for me? Touch my prostate. And so we did it and he loved it. Um, he said that he had the best orgasm that he ever had in his life. And then maybe this was probably about six months ago. So recently I was talking to him about the subject again and getting like a butt plug or something. and. He's like totally against it. Um, he keeps telling me that he's not gay. I don't understand that because I tell him every time, I'm like, I'm a woman, so how can we doing this with you make you gay? But more recently, maybe about a week ago, we're like fooling around and he was telling me like, yeah, please like penetrate me. I want you to touch me and everything. And so then we did that. And afterward, he just like, completely locked up he like just laid there on the bed like really emotional he was like crying and stuff and I was just really shocked by it I don't really know what to do about it I feel like I hurt him or something and I'm just really concerned that what I've been asking him to do has been hurting him somehow. What I'm supposed to say to you right now, and you're supposed to relay to your boyfriend is there's nothing gay about what you two have been doing. You're a woman. He's a man. You guys are enjoying each other and exploring each other's bodies. That's completely straight and straight men are capable of experiencing anal pleasure, capable of enjoying penetration, not just a finger, uh, which isn't a dick, not just a butt plug, which stays right there uh, where you put it and doesn't fuck you, but also st getting pegged, strap-on dildos, literally getting fucked in the ass by something that looks exactly like a dick, or maybe sometimes a dolphin, that you can do that with a woman as a guy, and that's straight sex. It's crazy, fun, transgressive, role-flipping straight sex, but it's straight sex, nothing necessarily gay about it. That's what I'm supposed to say, and it sounds like you've already said those things to your boyfriend. So I listened to your call twice, and the word that jumped out at me the first time I listened was Kansas. 
Kansas, where I imagine there aren't a lot of guys who are open about straight guys who are open about anal pleasure and the times that they have experienced it. Unlike Seattle or Portland or San Francisco or New York or Chicago, where you can't get guys, straight guys to shut up about those times. But the second time I listened, what really leapt out at me was the seizing up, the crying, the the laying in bed after you did what he asked you to do. You, you haven't done anything to him. You guys saw a show, a sex act was discussed. You said that might be fun to try sometime. He said, no, no, no. And then he came and basically sat his ass down on your hand more than once. He's asked you to do this to him. So you don't have to feel guilty about this, about what you guys have done together, what you have done with him, with his active and enthusiastic consent. But it seems to me that there is something else going on here. Again, jumping all the way back to the beginning of my response, I'm supposed to say there's nothing necessarily gay about this. It's not gay. It's a woman. It's a man. Not gay doesn't mean he's gay. There isn't a switch in your ass that you can flip that turns you gay. Straightness isn't something that's going to leak out of your ass after your girlfriend finger fucks you. Right? But we don't know what's going on in his head. Maybe he is gay or bi. Maybe this exploration that you two have been on together, which seems trivial-ish to you because there's nothing necessarily gay about this. And, you know, in my professional capacity, I'm supposed to trivialize it by saying there's nothing necessarily gay about it. Maybe there's something necessarily gay or bi-ish about it for him. Maybe what he's confronting isn't just typical straight guy anxiety about how emasculating this is because to be penetrated is to be the woman or the fag. It's to not be a straight guy anymore. It's to be emasculated, which is what some straight guys enjoy about anal penetration. They enjoy that transgression. They enjoy that violation, that flipping on its head who they are supposed to be as they move through the world sexually. And they eroticize that tension and that violation in the violation in quotes and italic sense of violation, not truly a violation, but violating who and what they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to function sexually. But maybe for him, what is going on here isn't just gay panic, but an awareness or being forced to acknowledge to himself that he is gay or bi, that this isn't something that he can deny. He's a young man living in Kansas. Not only does he probably lack for straight role models who are out about enjoying anal pleasure unlike young straight males in Seattle and Portland and San Francisco and Chicago and New York and Miami and everywhere else. But he probably lacks for gay role models. He may be in a place and from a family or a faith community where being gay isn't possible and he's moved through life thinking he can or being bi isn't possible and he's moved through life suppressing these things, these desires, suppressing this self-awareness, stuffing it down so far it wasn't even something that he could tap into and you touched it when you touched his prostate. Not that the prostate is a button that you press and then turn somebody gay. But it could be that in his case, grooving on this kind of stimulation, grooving on this kind of pleasure, brought him face to face with not what he wants, an exclusion to all else. He could be bi, could be totally into you, but what he also wants which is to be penetrated not by a woman, but by a man. And that's, depending on who he is, that could be a very consequential truth to face up to. One that could leave him curled up on the bed, seized up, sobbing. 
after he faces it. So in addition to saying to him that this doesn't necessarily mean that you're gay, giving him the standard reassurance around this, the standard assumption being gay panic in the wake of a straight guy discovering his own capacity for anal pleasure, you might also want to fold in, but if you are gay or bi, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being gay or bi, but it doesn't have to mean that. You can offer him both assurances together. You can put them on the same plate and set them down in front of him. There's nothing gay about what we've been doing. But if there's something gay about how you experienced it, that's fine too. That this can be not gay at all or this can be a little gay or a little bi and it's all good and it's all who you are and what you're capable of and what you're able to experience and there's no running from it and you need to embrace it because suppressing it doesn't work and never works. This is probably going to go on for a little while longer, this back and forth, this panic and denial and negation and please don't and then the ask. He's going to keep asking you to do this after he runs screaming from it. He's going to come back and ask you to do this with him again. You have to decide for yourself if you're comfortable continuing to do this with him, knowing that he's likely to continue for a while to have exactly this kind of reaction in the wake of the orgasm, the post-orgasmic regret. If you're comfortable weathering these emotional storms and you can love him through them, maybe you should keep doing it. But if it's an emotional burden for you, if it makes you feel terrible about who you are or what you then feel like you've done to poor him, don't keep doing it. Don't do it anymore. But keep talking with him about it and what it means. Hi, Dan. I'm pretty sure I have to break up with this guy I've been seeing for six months. He's a really decent guy, but it's just not working. The chemistry has fizzled for me, and I'm feeling a lack of emotional connection. We went on a trip this weekend, and by the end, I could barely stand to be with him, and the sex was awful. Here's the problem. I have a five-year-old son who I co-parent with his dad and stepmom. I introduced my son to this guy after we'd been dating about two months, which felt pretty reasonable. Things are great when the three of us hang out, and my son is totally in love with him. He emulates him and always looks forward to seeing him. I know I need to break up with this guy for my own happiness, but I'm worried about how to explain it to my son and how to help him deal with the loss. He's got a good father and some good father figures in his life, so that's not really the issue, but he's become really good buddies with this guy. Can you give me any advice on how to talk to my son about the breakup? Once I muster the courage to do it and any uh, encouragement on that from you would be appreciated as well. Um, Also, any advice on avoiding doing this to my son again? It's pretty likely I'll end up dating several people in the coming years. And it's important to me that a potential mate get along with my kid. Also, schedule wise, it's kind of impractical to completely avoid introducing anyone to my son if we're dating for a while. When is a reasonable time to introduce someone to your kid? And how can I manage things so that my dating life doesn't hurt my kid? Everything I read about post-divorce dating assumes you just meet that perfect person. And the only problem is getting your kid to accept them. Fairy tale done. I just don't think my life is going to pan out that way. Kids are more resilient than we give them credit for. It's only been four months since your son met this man. Your son will bounce back. I am trying to remember my aunts and uncles and their uh, significant others who came and went when I was three, four, and five, we all lived in the same house. So it was like siblings and these people would become important to us and then they would disappear and we would be sad, but we would get the fuck over it, particularly because we had a dad and we had our uncles and we had other male role models in our lives and other family figures. Not that everyone needs male role models all the time. 
But if I may, the mistake you made is two months is too soon. If you'd waited a few more months, you would have known not to introduce your son to this guy, not to risk having your son bond with this guy and then hurting your son's feeling by having to stuff this guy down the memory hole. The standard advice that I've seen out there, the conventional wisdom, is to wait at least a year to introduce a small child particularly to a new romantic partner because at a year you're going to be relatively certain whether this thing has legs or not. At two months, eight weeks, you didn't know this guy. A couple more months passed and you knew that this guy was not the guy for you. And at that point it was too late because you already introduced your son to him prematurely. So in the future, at least a year. Now you say that contact may be unavoidable because you have responsibilities and small kids. So if you're dating somebody else, they may come into contact with your kid or have to be introduced to your kid. You can keep unavoidable contact, minimal contact. So no extended evenings or weekends together with your kid until a year has passed. If there's some casual interaction or coming or going or introducing, but no opportunities for play or bonding or affectionate attention between them. So as to protect your son from the circumstance that he's in right now, which is he's going to have to grieve the loss of this man from his life. So in the future, at least a year, but don't guilt trip yourself too much about this. Kids are resilient. Dan, I've been listening to your show for a long time, and uh, you are so right about the, when you're here from the future, if it's not working when you're dating, uh, it's not going to get better when you get married. Um, 20 years of marriage later, I've improved that. Now finding out recently that uh, my partner has never been interested in sex, has never wanted it, kind of feeling like a rapist now, which is really throwing a hiccup now. Uh, counseling, all that stuff, trying to work it out sort things out, but now I've got this complete hiccup, like, why would I ever want to have sex with this person again, um, knowing she doesn't want it, even if she's willing. Yeah, the whole take yes for an answer stuff, I got it, but it's not working in my head. So what the hell do you do? You are not a rapist. You had sex with somebody over and over and over again for two decades who led you to believe that they were attracted to you, who led you to believe that they were interested in sex and interested in sex with their spouse. And that was the context in which you had sex with them. Now you find out something different. Now you find out that all that time she wasn't that interested in sex or not interested in sex at all, which is going through the motions to please and or keep you. And I don't want to make this about blaming her, but if you look at it from a slightly different angle, you were the one violated here. You are in a position now where you have to look back over every sex act with your wife over the last 20 years and feel terrible about what you did with the information that you had, things you would not have done had you known, had she either been honest with you or known herself well enough then to articulate what was going on with her. Maybe she didn't realize she was asexual or not interested in sex or no libido and couldn't articulate that until very recently. I'm not saying that she behaved maliciously and actively misled you with intent and the violation was therefore conscious on her part and you're the victim and she's the victim. No, just like sad state of affairs. But you don't have to feel like you raped your wife if she was consenting enthusiastically seeming consenting to sex that now you know she wasn't that into. It's just 
sad. It, it would squick me out. It squicks you out. You're full of regret. What do you do now? Well, if you love her and you want to stay, you stay and you get sex elsewhere. If you're going to have sex, don't have sex with her. Tell her that if you're going to stay, it has to be an open relationship, a companionate marriage where you are free to do discreetly and with consideration what and who you would like to do as she would also be free. But if sex isn't what your marriage about, if sex is never what your marriage has been about, then you should be free to pursue it with others. But if what she wants is a monogamous commitment from you in the context of a sexless marriage, which I've never quite understood, but some people are very invested in the person that they don't want to have sex with, not having sex with anybody else. If that's where she's at, then you should probably go. You deserve at this point in your life to be with a sex partner who enjoys sex and would like to have sex with you. Sad circumstance all around. Sorry you're both in this place. Hi, Dan. I'm a 36-year-old heteroflexible guy in New York City. My girlfriend is in her late 20s, and we've been together for about two and a half years. Over the past year, we've discussed the possibility of opening the relationship up, but mainly for her. I get really turned on by the idea of being with other guys. She says she has a, she's had gangbang fantasies and group sex fantasies, threesome fantasies with other guys and that sort of thing. And for a while, uh, we considered going through with it. Uh, but we never got very far since we both really weren't sure about it and it just seemed too intimidating. We never even met anyone in person and we just eventually dropped it. However, recently she brought it up again and asked what I would think if she found a sugar daddy. We live in New York City and are very much strapped for cash. It's really pretty much hand-to-mouth and we're struggling financially. Our idea was that we could indulge my kink while uh, making money. Several years before we met, she worked as an escort, and she feels like this might be similar. She says it was thrilling and she'd like to look into this sort of thing again, but emphasize that it would be for the money mainly and that sex is kind of a secondary interest, but still an interest nonetheless. Whatever guy or guy she finds to do this with, she'd have to be attracted to them. I was surprised to feel really weirded out by this suggestion. In no way do I look down on this. And if people want to arrange sugar daddy type situations and everyone is on board and happy, then great. Same with being an escort. I think it's actually really hot. However, it's the money part that really bothers me. I don't know why. I guess I feel like it makes me a loser. I'm a decade older than her, and I think maybe I worry that she thinks of me as a loser for not making more money. She says that's not the case, but I just feel weird about the idea of some rich, hot guy basically supporting the both of us by getting to have sex with, with my girlfriend. For whatever reason, it just makes me feel shitty about myself, while at the same time, it's really hot. If it was only for the fun and sex, uh, then I'd probably be really enthusiastic, especially if I could join in and it could be a male male, female threesome. I just don't know. We just don't know if that would would happen with this stuff. I've suggested she consider camming or both of us camming together, but she's not into it. We actually tried it a while back and it was just a massive time sink and we made very little money. I think she just likes the thrill of hookups. The hookup she'd have if she found a sugar daddy. I feel like if she does go through with this, I would want to completely open our relationship so I could be free to sleep with other women. I haven't brought this up with her yet and I think she would not be thrilled with that idea. But I'm still reeling from the reaction I I had. Why should it make me feel so awful for her to to do this? Should I get over it? Do you have any advice? So you are gainfully employed. I am. Okay. 
So why do you feel like some sort of financial basket case loser when you contemplate some other dude who has more money throwing cash at you and your girlfriend? I don't know. I don't really know why it hit me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I didn't expect it to. And um, when it did, it really caught me off guard because I, you know, I've never, I don't really feel like as a, as a man, as a, just, you know, just because I'm the male that I'm supposed to do the providing, be the provider. Right. But maybe my girlfriend sees it that way. Have you talked to her about it? A little bit. Um, she comes from a little bit of a conservative Muslim background and, uh, you know, she's progressive in a lot of ways, but I think she still holds on to this notion of, you know, the man is kind of the, the provider. There's a lot of cultural messaging and baggage around that too, where, you know, women are sex objects and men are success objects and, you know, women are supposed uh-huh. to bring the, the looks and the beauty and men are supposed to bring money and, and, and status and power. And that's, you know, and that can be, and just like that looks and beauty shit can put real zap on women's head, tons of pressure, make women feel inadequate and insecure all the time about the way they look. That, shit that gets thrown mm-hmm. at men that doesn't get acknowledged much or as often because men are terrible can put a zap on a man's head. <laughs> you know, there are guys out there who are just as attractive as Donald Trump, but mm-hmm. no Slovenian models want to marry them because they're janitors. Right? right. But if you're right. a billionaire and right. you look like Donald Trump and you have that ridiculous hairdo, you can get Melania or whatever the fuck her name is. But if you were a janitor, Donald Trump with that right. horrible hairdo, you couldn't. And you know, men move through life hyper aware of that fact. Just like women move right. through life hyper aware of the fact that a lot of their value culturally is attached to their looks. Men, a lot of their value, men aware, they know intuitively or explicitly is tied to their ability to provide, to what they can amass. Right. And you just have right. to let that shit go. Yeah. Even if you know. were talking about the sugar daddy thing here, you have to let that go because you don't know you could be one of those guys who's with a woman who ends up out earning him, which is common these days as more right. and more women right. move into the workforce and move up corporate ladders. And, you know, they're stay at home dads. There are guys whose wives make a lot more money than they do. And you got to be comfortable with, wouldn't that be nice? You got to be comfortable with that, which is a separate issue than this whole sugar daddy thing. You know, it's gotten a bit more complicated. She kind of gave me a little more detail on this. Uh, she, you know, this guy really did turn into something of a boyfriend for her. And, and it was something she, she didn't tell me for the longest time about how serious this guy was. He was, you know, uh, how serious they were very rich, uh, obviously. Um, you know, he was probably physically the best guy she's been with. And she had really, you know, made me feel that I was, I didn't solicit that. I didn't try to beg for the information. And, so she had a sugar daddy in the past? Uh, yes. You know, she had done this in the past and there was one guy in particular who was kind of the end all be all. And I really didn't know about him until recently. And he, you know, he had a big, huge dick and she was like, yeah, I've never really experienced that since then. I, why did she tell you all of this? I kind of begged for a lot of the details. I was just curiosity got the better of me. And it's just really put a zap on my brain. It's like, not only was he, you know, was she, does she, has she done this in the past, which is fine. I don't, you know, I don't judge that at all. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. she was, you know, I don't slut shamed by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I just, overall, I just feel like I'm not, you feel I'm inadequate. not really. Yeah, I do. And you feel like she's mentally comparing you to this dude from her past who had 
tons of money and a giant dick. Yes. Does it turn you on at all? You said in the call that the thought of her being with these other guys on some level turns you on. It does. And it's a complicated thing. I mean, it'll turn me on and then I'll feel miserable for a week, oh. you know, or more. And then, and then it comes back and I get really turned on by it again. And then, it, and then it, the cycle just keeps going. And, you know, it's really interfering with my ability to, to have like a really, you know, healthy sex life, I guess. Because you're not one of those cuckold type guys who's completely eroticized his inadequacies. Who's turned on by not being the best she's ever had. I, I'm Maybe there's an aspect of that. But, you know, like, my, you know, my dick might really like it, but my brain doesn't, you know, so they're not talking to each other <laughs> or something. Well, that's, you know, a lot of people are find themselves in that position where there's something that their dick really likes, but their brain doesn't want the dick to like that and won't cooperate with the dick. And you know who always wins that battle? Who? The dick. So, you know, in a way, your dick is giving you a gift. I just don't think you recognize it yet. There are always guys out there who are hotter than you. There's always guys out there who are hotter than me. There's guys out there who are hotter and richer than that hot and rich guy she fucked before. There's always somebody better. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, I, I logically know that. But now I just have a very specific example that kind of just keeps popping into my head whenever I'm like mm-hmm. with her and, and trying to be happy w- with her. I'm always wondering, was she kind of replacing this, this guy? You know, maybe she is. That's, that's, she has a right to her. <laughs> right. Does she love you? Do you love her? Is the sex that you two have yes. good? It, it, yes. Um, I definitely love her. I know she loves me. We have in the past had a great, you know, sex life. I think now I've kind of let this obsession, kind of wanting to see her with other guys and then knowing that she has been. When you fantasized about thinking about her with other guys, when you fantasized about that, were you fantasizing about her being with ugly guys who were worse in bed than you? No. Oh God, no. Mm -mm. No. You fantasized about her having good sex, hot sex with hot guys. Right. right. But knowing that she had good sex, hot sex with this hot guy, put a zap on your head. It it did, but it didn't really put a zap on my, on my dick. It, it like, it, it actually is really hot. And, and I, and I, I'm glad it happened in a way. Like I, I would be disappointed if she came back and said, Oh, this, this never happened. And I never did all that. I just kind of made it up. But at the same time, dude, you need to see a counselor. You need to see somebody who can unpack this with you (laughs) at much greater length than we can on this show. But I think that you are, you sound like two things to me. You remind me of two things, the conflicted closeted gay 15 year old who is mortified Uh by what makes his dick hard and what he's jacking off about. Right. Right. And it just feels terrible about it because God and Jesus and mom and, Allah, whoever the fuck, has a problem with this, and uh, and I'm at war with my dick. And eventually, that gay kid has to accept that he's gay and and reconcile himself to it. And right. you're sort of in that right. position right now with your dick. Your dick is cuckold and is dragging right. you toward that. And right, you can fight it. And you know, a lot of what cuckolding about is about the erotization of those bad feelings. It's about wallowing in the the jealousy, the denial. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. those feelings of inadequacy and, and, and inflating them in a way because you're not inadequate. If you were inadequate, you wouldn't be with right. you. If you were inadequate, you wouldn't have had a great sex life up to this moment. You're not inadequate. Right. Of course, there are people right. out there who are better at sex than you are, have bigger dicks than you do. Right. There's people out there. <laughs> that's true of everybody. 
I get you know there's seven right. you know three point five billion men on the planet. I guess one of them is the best at it. If, right. if we could dig right. through the pile and fuck every last man on the planet, we would find the guy who's the best guy. Right. But that's so subjective because one guy, right. you know, one person's that's right. the best sex I've ever had is the other person's that was left me on the floor sobbing and I hated it, or it was awful and it felt nothing. Right. Right. Yep. So so you need to measure yourself by that subjective criteria you're great sex mm. this guy was also great sex right. and right. you right. have to also tell yourself that she's remembering him fondly and our memory is tricky right. you know we don't remember the fart under the sheets yeah. after the sex or during the sex we you know our right. memories sort of round up good sex to great sex when we tell the stories right 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 and cuckolding yeah and you two doing this together, whether or not you get a sugar daddy or whatever you guys do together, you two doing this together can also be great sex mm. that you two are having right. together. Allowing her to have these experiences that you both eroticize that then she comes home and tells you about and makes your crazy cuckoldy dick hard. And then you two have great sex in the wake mm -hmm. of the sex that she had with somebody else, which is the cuckold experience for mm -hmm. people in this lifestyle. Well, I hate that term. For people who enjoy this particular kink fetish dynamic like she's going to come home from fucking mm -hmm. some other guy and you're going to be so turned on and jealous that there's going to be great sex in right. it for you too and for her too from you that this will elicit more great sex in your relationship with her this can be the engine that ups your game that ups your sex life right the, the one you share with her just right. the two of you in the wake of it right you know, learning about this this guy, you know, when she told me that I knew she had this in, the, in her past, I didn't realize this guy was so, had been as big a deal as he was. And then, you know, I, I've always had this, or not always, I guess over the past couple of years, I've developed this just crazy obsession with, with huge dicks, with like having a big dick. And I, I have a normal sized dick. And it's just, it's gotten to where, you know, I feel like I'm I'm just not going to be able to, to be good enough for her unless I have like a eight-inch <laughs> okay, and you know, I like the rational side. I mean, knows this is stupid. It, there's two things that you can do for her. You can get a cock sheath. Mm -hmm. Go to oxballs.com. Mm -hmm. You can get a cock sheath, which okay. is a giant dick that you wear on top of your dick. That mm -hmm. you can have a bigger dick, just like a dyke with mm -hmm. a strap on can have as big a right. dick as she wants. Not just for lesbians mm -hmm. anymore. That kind of, how big a dick would you like me to have? Because I can have whatever size dick you want me to have. That you can have that too. So there are times when you can strap it on and just be the big dick person that you also want to be. It's sort of like LARPing or cosplay, but with dicks. Right. Also, being with you means that she can have a big dick every once in a while because you let her have that big dick. So you are the right. source of that big that she has love and companionship and intimacy and great sex with you and mm -hmm. your dick that she loves. And being with you doesn't mean she can't have or has to go without for the rest of her life that eight or nine inch or every once in a while. So in a way you are giving her that big dick. Right. I don't know that she particularly wants, I mean, she said, yeah, it was nice, but it was just, it was different. And, but I mean, do you think if I did that, do you think if we went through with, with uh, a third person or, you know, I mean, do you think based on like sort of the conflict I'm having with it, head versus my own dick that I would end up miserable, miserable. I mean, I mean, is that really for people who are like, Nope, I know I want it. Unfortunately, there's only one way to find out. 
Yeah. And individual yeah, yeah, yeah. results may vary. And this is the, a case where, you know, if you go through with it and it's a disaster, you'll go, ah, see, it was going to be a disaster. But if you go through with it and it's yeah. awesome, I mean, there's only one way to find out how you're going to feel. You should read David Lay's book, Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray, and the Men Who Love Them. And you will hear stories of people who were kind of in the position that you are now, like fearful of this, conflicted, and now right. all in. There are also stories you read out there about people who were turned on by this idea, but in reality, it mm-hmm. wasn't for them. But there's only one right. way to find out which which one you are, and that's by giving your dick what it wants and then seeing if it's really what you want too. But all right. your anxieties, everything you're expressing, it sounds like everything I've ever read about or heard about from a cuckold fetishist. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly crossed my mind quite a bit. But listen to her. When she says that a big dick is nice, but that she's not a cockhound. Right. That's, I think she's telling you the truth. She's not just shining you on. Yeah. I'm a faggot. I don't know if you know that. I'm like a faggot. I'm totally (laughs) a And I'm really kind of indifferent about size. That that's actually a thing that somebody who's into dicks can, can say and have it be true. I'm not a cockhound. Like, not a size right. queen. Doesn't matter that much to me how big that dick is. Right. Yeah. Right. And wow. that can be true for her. Yeah, it would certainly uh, simplify my life if I could get over that obsession. <laughs> Take yes for an answer. When she okay. says, when you Great. say, "Is my dick good yeah. enough for you?" and you, she says yes, believe her. And the the, good, the good. obsession with the bigger dicks, be honest, isn't hers. It's yours. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. That's oh, your yeah. turn on the idea of her being with a guy who has a bigger dick. Right. So own that. Don't project that onto her and then feel inadequate or less than in a real sense. Your feelings of inadequacy and less than are eroticized feelings for you. You want to feel. Yeah, they are. They definitely are. So own them. Just like that 15 year old gay kid had to own his gayness and lust for dick. You have to own your eroticized feelings of inadequacy that this is your fetish this is your king right. and you step into it and step out of it right and imagine it like right. A pool. Right. imagine it like a pool there are times you're going to jump mm-hmm. in and you're going to get all wet you're going to get all like you're going to soak in your inadequacy these eroticized feelings of inadequacy and then you're going to jump out and you're not doing that right now right exactly yeah good luck yeah thank you so much dan i really appreciate it. i love your show thanks bye Hi, Dan. I have a question. My husband and I have a question. We have a 19-year-old son who still lives at home, which is fine. He's going to school and whatever. But he has recently been seeing a girl, and I don't know how serious it is, but it's serious enough that um, one Sunday morning not too long ago, we opened his door and found that she has stayed the night. They were all dressed. It was, you know, it was fine. And we, we all held our cool and we said hello and shut the door. And and we went in our room and had a little counsel, a little whispering counsel about what we should do about this situation. Uh, we laughed and asked ourselves, what what would Dan do? So I decided to give you a call and see. Our son, we're not under any illusions that our son isn't sexually active. And we've talked to him about safe sex and consensual sex. Um, all through his growing up life. We both grew up LDS, and so this kind of triggers some some things for both my husband and I as far as 
sex before marriage, whatever. We've kind of outgrown that, but it still triggers a few things as, as far as that goes. We talked with him. We told him it was fine if he wanted to have this girlfriend over, but that he just needed to be respectful of the rest of the family in the house. We also have a 16-year-old son, just to make sure that we're not walking around in her underwear when she's here. Um, we reiterated the safe sex thing. We talked with our youngest boy. He also has a girlfriend. He's 16. Uh, we let him know that it wasn't okay to bring a girlfriend in his room, even if his older brother was doing so. I don't know. I guess we just want some reassurances that it's okay to give him a green light to have a girl sleep over. And any suggestions you might have as far as what we can, you know, boundaries we can set up for that. We don't want want it happening every night. Would it be okay to say, you know, you can have her over once a week? I don't know. The Dutch famously enough allow their teenagers, kids around the age of your younger son, to have their romantic partners spend the night in their parents' houses. And the Dutch have much lower rates of teen pregnancy. Of course, the Dutch also have much better and much more comprehensive sex education programs than we do. But you've been in there. You've been in the trenches with both your sons about consent, about safety, about unplanned pregnancy, about birth control, hopefully about all of that. So your house may be on Dutch soil. Think of it as kind of a Dutch consulate. I think you should allow your son to have his girlfriend sleep over. I think your son fucked up and not letting you know she was there for all the reasons you cite. You don't want to stumble out of your bedroom in your underwear and run into some girl, somebody who isn't one of your kids in your house, all unaware that they were even present. It was inconsiderate of him, literally. He didn't take into consideration what could happen. Like mom could walk into his room in the morning and see his girlfriend there and that could be super awkward. Awkward is the word of the day for everyone. And so he needs to let you know when she's spending the night so you know who's in your house house. And that's fair. And that's rational. You say that you know your son is sexually active. Where, if not your house, if not his bedroom, is he supposed to be sexually active? You want him having sex in cars in public in a culture where everyone's lost their fucking minds and people are ending up on sex offender registries for having sex in public? Yeah, no. Better that he should have sex in your house, under your roof, in his room, with the door closed, even if you're home, so long as you know that somebody else is in the house. I think you could reasonably go to your younger son and say your older brother is an adult. And so he lives in this house as one of the adults. You are not yet an adult. And you can try to make that distinction, but not going to play well with a 16-year-old kid who's only got less than 24 months to go until he's an adult too. If I were you and I had a younger son, I might let him have his romantic partners spend the night too, so long as it was okay with the parents of his romantic partners. If his romantic partners like him were also minors, their feelings would have to be taken into consideration. But better in your house than, than under the bleachers or under the boardwalk or in a car or in a public restroom or wherever else kids steal away to fuck when they can't fuck in their beds. Hi, Dan. I am a heterosexual, polyamorous woman in San Francisco. I have a long-term boyfriend of a couple years, and I've been seeing a couple guys more recently. And I have a question about guys and threesomes. I know that guys can be really competitive, and I wonder if there's anything I can do as the woman in a in a threesome with two guys 
to ease their tensions if, when there's a discrepancy of any number of things, penis size particularly, or athleticism. I know there's there's no etiquette set out for that, and um, I'd love to hear what you have to say. I would suggest if you want to have a three-way with two guys, you find two guys in your pile of guys, your poly pile of guys, who are bisexual, who have perhaps had interactions in the past with other men. And so even if the three-way, the guy-guy-girl three-way is a new experience for them, the being naked and intimate and sexual with other guy, that might not be new for them. So you're not going to have to then worry, and I think your worry is a little misplaced, but if you want to address your concerns, you're not going to have to worry about one guy feeling a little insecure or competitive because his dick isn't as giant as the other guy's dick or that they're necessarily comparing techniques. One of the things that's fun about a three-way is different people with different techniques and two people when they go to bed can have different techniques and the clash of those styles is part of what makes sex fun and exciting. You're both kind of busting different moves on each other and finding the ones that you initiate that work for them and the ones they initiate that work for you. And that dynamic can still play out when three people are having sex together or more. You don't all have to be doing exactly the same things in exactly the same ways for it to work. So I don't think some sort of technique dance battle throwdown is going to bust out because you've got two guys in bed and one has one style, another has another style. You will be experimenting with what works for the three of you in that moment. And a three-way sometimes is really a rolling two-way where people tap in and tap out. I always tell people who are thinking about a three-way, if you project yourself into the experience, if you think about it, you anticipate it, and you know that you will have a meltdown if you're excluded, if it becomes a little two-way for a second with you on the outside of it, please spare yourself and those other people the headache and don't have a three-way because there's always going to be moments during a three-way where two people snap into something and the other person is on the periphery for a moment. And the deal then is you be you exist on the periphery for a moment and then you find the moment to jump back in or you say something and ask to take a break and say, hey, I'm still here. I'm feeling unincluded. And you reinsert yourself literally sometimes into the action. But your concerns to me sound like the concern of someone who's never had a three-way before. And if you have had three-ways before and you're only having this concern because you're worried about the different dynamics that might be at play with two competitive dudes in bed with you with their dicks of different sizes and their techniques of different qualities, I don't think you need to worry about that. Find two guys who want to be there, not two guys who are willing to put up with each other's presence. They don't have to be by either for this, but not two guys who are willing to put up with each other's presence to get to you, but two guys who are into the idea of having a three-way, the three of you, and they are likely to cooperate in making sure everything goes well. And you can lay back and enjoy without having to worry about competitiveness or dick comparison time or technique battles. Hey, Dan. I'm a girl that's into guys, obviously. But I'm also into dudes who like dudes. Very strange, I know. So watching some gay porn the other night. then. Ended up on some gay cruising app, but I'm a girl, so go figure. Now, I'm also in a relationship with a guy who I've been seeing for many years, and I came across his picture. Well, not a picture of him, but his dick. And it says he's bi online. He's never came out to me as that, and we've been together for several years, so it's quite strange, as you can imagine. Um, 
I'm not quite sure what to do. He is on vacation right now, so he's not here for me to confront him about it. I don't know what to do. You didn't leave a callback number, so I can't call you back with the question I really want to ask you. Where did you come across this picture of him and his dick with him identifying as bi in the context of this picture of his dick, wherever it was? Were you snooping? Were you looking around adult friend finder or Tinder or something dirtier and you stumbled across a personal ad and you recognized the dick as his dick? How exactly did you find this out? That's relevant because if you're going to go to him and talk about this, and I do think you should go to him and talk about this, you're going to have to own up to having snooped, to having this information because you spied on him if indeed you did snoop. But if you left it lying around out there on the internet somewhere where even if you're just looking around at the personals because you're bored, you were likely to encounter it, maybe even not likely, not likely at all to encounter it, but that was a possibility. You shouldn't be shy at all going to him and saying, look what I found. I found your dick. Found these pictures of you and your dick. And it says you're bi. And that's cool. I'm, now that we can be honest with each other, I have a thing. I'm into dudes on dudes. I like, I read slash fiction. I watch gay porn. However it is that you've indulged your desire to see two men together in the past. Just lay that all out. Lead with that so that he knows that his bisexuality isn't a problem for you. You might want to also tell him you can understand why he might not come out to you about being bi in the first place because there's a lot of women out there who won't date bi guys and perhaps he feared rejection or learned to fear rejection because he was honest in the past and dumped for it. But he can be completely himself with you and out to you. And he is out to you now, whether he likes it or not, whether you found out because you were snooping or not, he's out to you now. You know what you know, and you're going to have to tell him you know it. And maybe he'll be angry about the snooping, but I hope that he could balance whatever anger he has about snooping, if indeed it was snooping, with the relief that he should experience being out now to you. And maybe one day after a lovely three-way where he was banging on a dude and you were getting to watch and jump in and roll around a little bit, maybe he will be grateful that you snooped, not just relieved. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the woman in episode 522 who had a job interview where the man interviewing her asked about whether she was engaged or had a boyfriend and if those were the reasons she moved to L.A. I work for HR in California, and those questions are illegal. You cannot ask about people's sexual preferences, orientation, marital status as part of the interview process. Whether or not she takes the job, that whole scenario gave her a very clear picture of what it would be like to work in that particular environment, and she should take that in serious consideration. Hi, this is in response to the caller whose boyfriend went limp Thanksgiving on episode 522. Listen, if your boyfriend's not going to defend you after a year and a half to his parents now, he's not going to defend you later. Just DTMFA and get a new one because this one's just going to be a mama's boy forever. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Be sure to read Savage Love, my sex advice column, every week in the Anchorage Press and other weekly newspapers across the country. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Connor Habib on Twitter at Connor Habib. And speaking of Twitter, at Brazilian Tweets. 
Hey, Fake Dan Savage, this is the second podcast that you said Trump was on the Access Hollywood bus with Billy Bean, but it's Billy Bush not Bean. Oh my God, apologies to baseball icon Billy Bean. I don't know where that brain fart came from. My apologies. It was Billy Bush, Bush, not Bean. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of 